Hello, everybody, and welcome to the You Thought Sports Podcast, episode 75. We are three quarters of a way to 100 episodes, and we are glad that you are joining with us here today. We're going to get start off talking about some news we missed in this past week that we're not going to be talking about more in depth once we get into the full show. And we'll start off with Tom Brady and NFL jersey numbers. Tom Brady hates them. He doesn't like that they relax the number rules, the jersey rules. He posted on Instagram that his rationale was, good luck trying to block the right people now. <laughs> Extending on his Instagram rant, he also wrote, why not let Lyman wear whatever they want to too? Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not everybody wear the same number? Dumb. So, <laughs> Tom has spoken. Yeah. Tom has spoken. I don't know if they'll listen. Was that supposed to be delivered objectively? <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just That's kidding. what we're really good about on this podcast is objectivity. <laughs> uh, sticking in the NFL. Uh, the LA Rams have converted a 9,000-foot square-foot mansion in Malibu into a war room for draft night. And Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury felt that he was being upstaged from his memorable, sleek, and modern Arizona house and war room last year. Memorable, sleek, and modern descriptors used by Jared. Um, <laughs> Kingsbury said, uh, quote, I really think it's just a ploy by McVeigh to allow himself the opportunity to take his shirt off again and jump in the pool like he did on Hard Knocks, sip some rosé, <laughs> take a dip in the ocean, and make some draft picks. And honestly, it doesn't sound like the worst yeah. night to me. Yeah. They're going to trade away some. Like, well, I mean, they don't even have a first-round draft pick, do they? <laughs> exactly. McVeigh's going to get a little too lit and be like, we're trading up for first overall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, sticking, sticking in the entertainment world, ESPN is going Marvel on the NBA. Apparently, ESPN is going to have a Marvel-themed NBA broadcast for the May 3rd Pelicans-Warriors game. The Marvel superheroes are apparently scouting players to train with them. The stars of each team earn Marvel hero points for every point, rebound, assist, block, and steal. But they lose a hero point for every missed shot, missed free throw, and turnover. So just quick predictions. Who out of the Pelicans Warriors game gets the most Marvel hero points? It's Steph Curry easily. Or, Zion actually has a good shot because he's going to miss that yeah. much. Yeah, Lonzo Ball, come on, don't sleep. Don't Lonzo sleep. Ball. <laughs> the second he hears that it's going Marvel, you know he's turning it on. Yeah. <laughs> Big Baller Brand is going to come out with a collab. If they're still around. I don't know if they are. But. <laughs> Um, and to wrap it up, we have two big win streaks from somewhat lovable teams. The uh, the Oakland A's have won thirteen or won thirteen straight games after losing, I think, their first five of the season, or won a huge winning streak. Um, and I think they're everybody's second favorite team. I think we can Honestly, largely say yeah, that yeah. in in Major League Baseball. Um, so good for the A's. Um, and the New York Knickerbockers are good. <laughs> they won nine straight before falling to the Suns on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Up to fourth in the East. We'll allow a loss to the Suns. Okay. It, seems, yeah, it seems acceptable. The Suns are pretty good. Uh, speaking of lovable teams, also I think we need to mention the Timberwolves, who are th- somehow 3-0 against the Utah Jazz this season. So, uh, <laughs> do they really? have the mantle of the best team in the league now, or what? Yeah, I think that they yeah, are. They're like both like really <laughs> good, slash really bad against everybody else, and then the opposite against each other. <laughs> make it make sense. No, it'll be like boxing, where if like you win, you take the like title off. Yeah, <laughs> like that's <laughs> the college football like map. Uh-huh. Yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, Bart, thank you for providing that perfect segue segue into our next segment because breaking news. 
at seeing the resounding success that was the European Super League and its whole 48-hour existence, college football has also decided that it will be implementing a Super League system as well. And just like the European Super League, this league is going to have 15 charter members, and the college football playoff committee, in its infinite wisdom, has decided to entrust us, the five fine men of the Youth Hot Sports podcast, they put us in charge of picking the teams in a draft format. So, you know, they're creative, they're innovating, um, they're giving us a good segment to have. Um, <laughs> so, our five hosts, in the following order, will pick teams. We'll have three rounds until we have created a 15-league, or a 15-team college football Super League. Bart will go first, then Wyatt, then Aiden, then Jared, and then I'll finish off each round. At the end, we'll present you with who we think is deserving of being in this Super League. And so, Bart, you're on the clock. Tell us who gets in first. Uh, I can tell you who it's not. It's not Princeton. If you're not talking pole era, I don't want to talk. <laughs> so I'm going to say Alabama. Alabama's my hands down number one. Uh, the most titles of anybody, they've been dominant in the BCS era and the college football playoff era. Their recent dominance is crazy, and they have the most titles of anybody, like I said. So, yeah, it's got to be Bama, in my opinion, at, at one. All right, Wyatt, you're up next. Who's off the board? Why are they part of the Super League? Uh, let's take a big guess on who I'm going to pick. From <laughs> no Ohio State is going to be the obvious answer. Uh, best team in college football, actually. And the best quarterback in college football just took off. That's okay. We'll be fine. I think Ohio State is well-deserved in that number two slash number one, my number one spot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had Ohio State as three, so I don't I don't disagree with your pick a little early. Um, but with the number three pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna get value because I have my number two. I'm going Clemson. I know Clemson historically is not a Bama or even a Ohio State, but in terms of like the powers of current college football, which a, a super league would definitely need, it's definitely them and Bama at the top. Um, with Ohio State trailing behind, uh, but no, um, but yeah, and I think I think Clemson is set up to be to be good for years to come, given their how strong the recruiting classes have been. So they're the my my pick. All right, you knew this pick was coming at some point. The University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Go we Irish. are America's team. Irish. Why is why it is proof of this? Everybody has an opinion on us, whether they've watched a game of ours or not. Everybody has an opinion. We're nationally relevant every year. Wyatt. Uh, the big question is, would would Notre Dame even join because they love their independence? We, they would join. They, they make a ton of money. Uh, they would make, they a, would make a ton of money, and that is the key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus, the other argument for staying independent is they don't want to be too regional, but the Super League is not going to be regional. It's national. So, uh, In every mm-hmm. metric I used personally, like career, uh, I guess program wins, fifth most, national championships, 13, what I think was second most. Heisman, Heisman winners tied for first most. Consensus All-Americans third overall. So they got the history and recent success to back it up. Mm-hmm. All right. I am up next. And every good league needs a villain. So with our next pick, we are picking the Miami Hurricanes to Ooh. slot Whoa. into our Super League. Maybe a little bit of a, a reach this early in the draft. But <laughs> they have five national titles, a few Heisman winners. They are they just sort of epitomized college football of a certain era in the 80s and 90s and even into the early 2000s. I think few teams have a claim over, like, defining what college football was about. And while they haven't quite been, like, national title contenders the last 10 years or so, like, they've had periods where they've been good and runs. And I think, you know, part of the Super League is, like, recent success and part of it is historical making up, like, a league that epitomizes college football. And I think few teams do that, like Miami. So even though as a Notre Dame fan, I hate them. 
I think that they deserve to be in the Super League. Bart, back to the top. Back to the top. I also get a value pick here. This is my number four. I am taking Oklahoma, also way up there in titles. Of course, yeah, kind of like Miami, not so dominant recently. I mean, they've still been quite good, but yeah, they seem like they're always quite on the cusp, but not quite good enough to compete in the titles. But I still think overall their program history makes them deserving of this spot. All right. Why? Who are you taking a seven? I'm picking a team early just because I want to be the one to say it. And I'm picking this team specifically because I told Jared that they would uh, smack down Notre Dame. So I'm picking Penn State. Just to compete with Notre Dame. I do think they're one of the better teams in college football. They're underrated because Jared gives them no respect. And they're in the best division in college football, the Big Ten. Wow. I hate Penn State. I did everything in my power to not include Penn State on my top <laughs> yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. I, I had Penn State just outside my top 15, so that's a, an interesting oh, wow. selection, Wyatt. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I'm going to go with, with uh, I, I think a Super League needs name brands. They need the, you know, the, the biggest schools in the country. Um, so I'm going with Texas. Um, I know they haven't been super relevant of late, but one of these coaches has to work out. And they're probably what, like this... Behind Bama, they probably have like the second biggest fan base in terms of college football. I actually don't know, but they they've got to be up there, uh, and I, I think they need to be a part of this league. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Another team that you know I'm not really a fan of, to be honest, and they're not really they haven't been that good recently, but I feel like there is no way I could keep them out. Uh, the team up north, Wyatt, the University of Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I saw some like ESPN article when they were doing this that was like Jim Harbaugh and the Big Ten are going to be like are going to take like the moral high ground and say we're above this and then decide to join like two months later <laughs> or something like that. I was like, that's hilarious. Uh, but they have the most wins ever by a college football program, nine national t- titles, uh, sixth all time in consensus All-Americans. They have just, yeah, if we're talking brands, which is basically what the European Soccer League did. I think Michigan has to be in there. Yeah, I agree. With you. They were going to be my yeah. pick if you didn't yeah. uh, if you didn't take them there. Um, and I'm staying in the state of Florida for my next one and picking the Florida State Seminoles. Ooh. Um, I think uh, they, along with Miami, sort of have like a. There's just a brand aspect there that I think plays really well into a big regional fan base. Three national titles, three Heisman winners. Bobby Bowden, one of the greatest coaches, history of the game. So I just think if you're talking prestige, if you're talking lore, if you're even talking... Like, they haven't been good the last few years uh, since Jimbo left. But um, re- even recent success, national title in the last decade, James Winston. Great, iconic <laughs> quarterback. I think Florida State deserves Wise to get guy. Yeah, right. So we have, four, yeah. we have four ACC teams, or three and a half, if we're <laughs> yeah. off the board. Well, so, so, far, so far, every team selected has was also in my like original 15, so... It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Even Penn State? Yeah, Penn State was in my original okay. 15. Yep. Yo, I did it to, to clown on you. <laughs> <laughs> one one SEC team off the board currently. Oh, that's, wow. That's going to make some people Anti-SEC yeah. bias. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bart, take us home in the last round. I will be making a foray into the Pac-12. Speaking of brands, you got to go USC here. Yeah. Um, they haven't really been relevant since 2004 or so, right? Um, they've been hot and cold with their, you know, success. But uh, classic program, classic jerseys, the image of, like, them with Reggie Bush and whatnot is uh, always going to be ingrained in my mind. Those are some of the glory days of college football, in my opinion. So, USC Trojans. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna ask for some clarification. Can somebody remind me who have been picked so far? Yeah, I got. Uh, I got it. We down. have. Yeah, it's. Okay. Uh, it went Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, Michigan, Florida State, and then USC. In that order. And we haven't seen Georgia yet or Florida. No, neither. Is, you can cut the size. Anyone get a pick, Georgia or Florida? Well, no, you got to see. <clears throat> okay, cool. I'm going to go with Wisconsin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wisconsin? Yeah, they're That's actually... so random. No, they're actually a good team. They make the Rose Bowl almost about every other year, or so it feels like. And uh, oh. they have a really good defense. Blue-collar school, very cold, the frozen tundra, I guess you could call it maybe. If that, <laughs> that might be an appeal to other guys, but I'm going with Wisconsin to be one of my teams. All big time. Yeah, All that's, right. that's you guys can pick out of the ACC. I'm going to pick out of the big time. That's fair. That's fair. Um, okay, we got to get some. Yeah, we we got to get some SEC representation in here. So um, I'm seriously considered the two that Wyatt just mentioned, but I'm going to go with LSU because they um, are the most recent title winners of LSU, Florida, Georgia, um, and I think LSU is just such a distinct culture and kind of fan base in terms of a place that's loud and kind of scary to go to i think there it's fun to kind of have the yeah have it as part of the league okay so i'm, I'm looking through my list the, the last teams i had on my list that have not made it into the super league georgia mm-hmm. uh you know lots of history there as well as recent success even though tennessee a team like tennessee mm-hmm. actually has more wins like historically like yeah. on the metrics yeah. i used I couldn't put them in. Yeah, I'm not putting Georgia in yet either. The other team I considered Whoa. Nebraska. Yeah, because they are very they are very good on all the historical methods or metrics. Northwestern, UCF. but again, they I don't know. I just don't really think they're that exciting of a brand to be honest. Yeah, not uh, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure other people think that. So I'm going with probably a shock pick here. I really wanted to get this team in. The University of Oregon Ducks. Yeah, I knew it. We need some more West Coast. We need some more West Coast representation. I don't want this to become too regional in the apparently in the Midwest. I thought it was gonna be very southern, but it's actually very Midwest. I wanted some Pacific Northwest teams. I'll admit that this is a pick where I pretty much ignored my criteria about like historical relevancy. But they did make a college football national championship. They won a couple Rose Bowls. Um, they have some clout too, I think, with like Justin Herbert and like Panay Sewell getting drafted in like this new era of Oregon high up. And they just, I mean, they're Nike, you know, they're kind of synonymous with Nike. They just have that a big enough brand, I think, to do it. So I'm going to the University of Oregon. <laughs> well, unlike Jared, I don't hate the heartland and think Nebraska is a bad brand. So I am <laughs> going to throw Nebraska Ooh, last wow. into the Super League. I think this is my like. I think classic, just like historical pick, five national titles, three Heisman winners, dominated the 90s, dominated the 70s. Like, for the same way in which um, I think you can't, like, have 80s college football without Miami, I don't think you can, like, write the story of college football without Nebraska. And even if they haven't been relevant, you know, in our lifetimes, I think that it, it's a name that carries enough weight that uh, you have to put them in. They're, they're the arsenal of the... Uh, Wow. of the college football super league which they're not very good but they have historical weight so wow. 
Despite them not being good recently, they're 10th in win percentage. Fun fact for you guys. Can you say that about That's Oregon? That's pretty I don't wild, think so. yeah. You can. No, yeah, Oregon has a really bad winning percentage, actually. Uh-huh. They're like 560 or something like that. So. Yeah. I, th- I think it's fun because we didn't we didn't like decide ahead of time how much weight historical success should yeah. have. So we, we mm-hmm. were clearly all over the board with that. Yeah. yeah. But, no, I just picked yeah. teams that are good. <laughs> but like, what does that mean though? Like, now, Nebraska used to win games. Yeah, I would argue like, <laughs> Nebraska, Florida State, Miami, but you know, our own criteria. My, my original fifteen was exactly this, except substitute Wisconsin for Georgia. I have no idea where you got Wisconsin from, but from Wisconsin, from, from <laughs> <laughs> up in Madison, have you ever been? No, yeah, so what, we, think- we had two SEC teams and like. How five could you do ACC, that? four <laughs> ACC or something? Mm-hmm. What was that? Two Pac-12. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, where are you gonna put it? Like Auburn, you know? But I, I mean, know. yeah, Over- I also, Florida, or Florida Georgia, and Georgia should have been in there. Case. I feel yeah. strongly about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I Florida probably top, should have. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I would argue against LSU. I, they're a big brand, mm, but I don't know if really? they're necessarily that great, or at least one of the top. Um, SEC. I would Auburn, Georgia, and Florida are probably better SEC teams in my. You think Auburn is bigger than LSU? No, Auburn, I meant Alabama. I, th- I, I think Florida and Georgia. Yeah, Florida and Georgia Alabama, definitely Florida have a case. Is what yeah. I meant to say for SEC. Yeah. I feel like we had too many. We would have too many Florida teams though if I put Florida in as well, which is why yeah. I left them out personally. But yeah, I'm not sold well, on Florida like State. Florida. I'm not. Really? <laughs> I'm not sold on Florida. Yeah. You're most sold on Florida. No, I thought they were my 16. Yeah, so I was oh, just not sold on them. They finished, in the, they finished in the top four of the AP poll every year from 1987 to 2000. They don't yeah, have the longevity, but they 41 straight winning dominant, seasons as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Two things oh, I learned. 41. That's pretty wild. Two historical like teams that I've learned like that I had no idea were that good out of doing this. Who? Tennessee, who Jared mentioned. Yeah. 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 Has six national titles. Um, <laughs> and the University of Minnesota. Who have yeah. seven national titles. <laughs> they were dominant in the 30s and 40s. They won 34, <laughs> 35, 36, 40, 41. They won national championships. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, but Tennessee has, by my count, they have two because that's that must have been pre-poll era. So mm. like I said, I don't want to hear it. But still, well, yeah, they're... there's like the NCAA recognizes some, but then if you like go on Wikipedia, they have like titles selected by major selectors mm-hmm. and like the numbers. That's where the numbers start getting weird. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like Notre Dame either has eight, eleven, or thirteen, depending on how you define it, and, uh, which is correct. I don't know. There are somewhere like four teams all claiming. Right? It's like yeah, Al- Alabama claims a national title in a year. I think they went seven and three and finished like third in the SEC. But, like some some computer ranking that came out like forty years after, like ranked what? them first. So they like claimed the nineteen. They got it. Seven national titles or something great. like that because of that. Oh, um. Yeah. But so to recap that section before we move on to one quick follow up question on this, uh, our super league is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, Oklahoma, Penn State, Texas, Michigan, Florida State, USC, Wisconsin, LSU, Oregon, and Nebraska. Nice. So I want Wallace State su- in there. Yeah. I just want to throw out <laughs> two names that I was gonna throw if I got if I got another chance. Texas A and M. Yep. Uh, I had Georgia and Florida as well, and I had Iowa, and I was ready. I was ready to do Iowa instead of Wisconsin, but I have Iowa. What? Yeah. 
It's a good brand. It's like the classic like Midwestern like blue, like, collar. blue collar team. Yeah. What's what's up with your obsession with the Midwest right now? Why? <laughs> <laughs> They're blue collar. What can I say? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my um. God. So while well, a super league like this truly unlikely in the near future, conference realignment is possible. So two questions: one, do we think it'll happen soon? And if so, where do we think realignment falls in college football? Mm. I don't really see any realignment happening soon, at least not majorly. I, I could see UCF trying to make some push to get into like the ACC. Mm-hmm. I could see that, as well as Boise State trying to make some push to get into the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 needs like a little more legitimacy, I think. They've been left out of a bunch of playoffs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I don't think like the SEC or Big Ten, for example, really have any incentive, though, yeah. to like realign. They probably don't, so, but I think the Pac-12 yeah. does. If I were to pick a conference that was going to realign, it would be Pac-12. And like you said, it would probably be Boise State and maybe BYU after this last year to make a push to get Uh, in there. I agree with UCF as well. I'm trying to think of another team off the top of my head. but I think Coastal Carolina. I'd also maybe, if the success continues, making a play for the ACC as well. Because those were the big ones I had. I had UCF to ACC. I can see Cincinnati also trying to get into the ACC Mm, at some point because I don't think the Big Ten would let them in. And then I think the Big – or, yeah. Pac-12. Yeah, Cincinnati, notably a white-collar city, uh-huh, as yeah. people no, there's, said. There's so many teams that the Big Ten could just kick out of the conference and nobody would notice. Rutgers. Maryland. What happened Maryland get the here? invite? <laughs> I'm mad at you for saying Rutgers, Lucas, but I yeah, I was gonna say Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, Maryland's fair uh, too. Yeah, yeah. Do do conferences like kick teams out like ever? Does yes. that happen? Okay. Temple got p- kicked out of the Big East because they won like one game what? over the course of five years in wow. like 2003 or something like that. That's wild. <laughs> Relegation. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I think that's literally the only case I've ever heard of. But yeah, Temple was so bad. They got kicked out of the Big East. Oh, but they're so good at basketball. Or <clears throat> have been at times. So yeah, at times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of basketball, we'll move on to our next segment, um, going NBA. So, in a recent pregame discussion, it was suggested that the NBA wants Steph and the Warriors to be in the play-in tournament for ratings. It would create a March Madness-type feel. So, Jared, with these comments in mind, if the play-in tournament goes well, Steph goes crazy, scored like 50 points, playing game. Do you think the play-in tournament will be here to stay? No, I think no matter what happens, the play-in tournament is an embarrassment to playoff formats. <laughs> the NBA has been the NBA has been super candid about the fact that the play-in tournament is literally there for revenue. I'm pretty sure they've said that multiple times. Mm-hmm. Especially in a league where more than half the teams already make the playoffs. Now we want to have a play-in tournament that includes four more teams to to play against the one seed like in a series. Like I know yeah. people are going to be like, "Oh, look at how much fun March Madness is" or whatever. But these are the, this would be like if the 15 and 16 seeds were playing, and then their next game was against the one seed, but in a series, not a one game. So like it's not exciting, in my opinion. Like, yes, as much fun. I think it will be fun to see Steph Curry play in an elimination game, but I'd rather see him in a game seven, and through a whole series than just the stupid seven through ten seeding game. I don't know. I think it's dumb, and you know it's consistent with my other playoff opinions probably so yeah, yeah. i think it's dumb and <laughs> yeah. it should i think it's gonna be gone i yeah. 
think that it'll stay for a reason that you hinted at quite early on, which is they said it will be in there for revenue, and <laughs> if it makes them money, then it will stay. And especially because I think like the early rounds of the playoffs are so often like don't get the best ratings, they're not very exciting games. This is like a little spark at the beginning that'll like get people in, get them watching, make a even if they can just churn out a little more money out of it, I think they'll see it as worth it. Yeah. So like at the end of the day, I think that's what matters. So like well I think it's stupid too. The 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 NBA playoff system, we've discussed this before, is already too big. Yeah. Um but I think that they'll I think they'll keep it because it makes the money. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah I agree with Lucas. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I think back to when the NBA introduced the jersey um, logos, that felt yeah. like a big, like, oh, this is like a super traditional sport, and now they're suddenly like doing this cash grab. I feel like this would be another example of, like, Adam Silver is basically saying, yeah, we don't really care what you think about the tradition or whether this should stay the same. We want that that money, money, and they're just <clears> going to go for it. Yeah. You know what they but should do? with yeah. that being said, if Steph Curry goes in and goes Supernova, that will be helpful for them in advertising yes. it and making it seem like it's, you know, it's such yeah, a logical but... choice. Sorry. I, I mean, Sorry. I'm sure they would love to have Steph Curry in the playoffs, not in the play-in, you know? If yeah. he was, if Steph Curry was a 60, it'd be way cooler. And then you just let, like, uh, Sacramento, <laughs> um, New Orleans, not Memphis, I guess, you know, those, those, like, little bottom teams that could use a little bit more exposure, you kind of put them on a national stage. That's what I think is good for. What I think they should do is they should just have the teams on the very, very bottom uh, compete for the lottery. <clears throat> and whoever wins gets the number one overall pick. And then they, that's just the way they do it. <clears throat> that's the way they do the tournament. Yeah. Wouldn't, like, the like teams that usually pick, like, you know, 10th and 11th or 12th, like, then end up with the number one pick? If they win, you might have to limit it to like right now, yeah, four or something. I think only five teams even have a chance at the first pick in the it, odds. Yeah, it would um, be like the Wizards uh, or okay. anybody else. But oh wait, you don't have any chance at all if you're the above. I think you like did. Six five. I thought you did. I thought it was just tiny. I thought I remember seeing a chart like a few days ago that okay, oh, okay. maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I, I could I could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, no, I could be wrong too. Listeners, don't quote updated. me on this. Yeah, I'm exactly. looking it up yeah. right now. <laughs> Somebody can vamp and fill time while we find the answer. No, I don't. I don't think though that the best case for that NBA is for the Warriors to be the sixth seed. I think if the Warriors end up being the nine and like winning their their way in, I feel like the NBA will live off that. And they could still they could still you know give exposure to a you know a, a Memphis or something because they'll be playing in a hopefully tightly contested series but i don't know i think the nba wants to show that the like and i don't think this is true but like that the 10 or 9 mm-hmm. seed like could actually make some noise and the warriors potentially could make noise just if steph goes absolutely wild i don't know Did, mm-hmm. i mean how much noise do you re- do you really want them to make in the playoffs mm-hmm. other than maybe win one game against the lakers but do you want to see just a <laughs> single steph curry uh, led team beat the lakers in a seven game series or maybe yeah, do you just want to – no, you would. Do you, or do you just really just want, you know, your little smaller market teams to get a little bit of exposure. They lose. like mm-hmm. They fall out against the the number one seed, whoever it will be. And then, you know, then we move on. And then we don't ever talk about the play-in tournament. It should have almost <laughs> zero implication on the actual playoffs. It just be a fun little game that we play before we go into it to kind of build some buzz for next season mm-hmm. and the playoffs going. Yeah, I think I think I can see that. Like, look at kind of what happened with the Phoenix Suns. Like at the bubble, they then they go undefeated in the bubble yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Get, yeah, the get Chris Paul, and now they have like yeah. 
They're like one of the hottest NBA teams now in terms of just like momentum yeah, I mean, in general on the court and like I feel like in the NBA like persona mm. or the NBA like sphere, they're a hot team kind of. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> they're the Phoenix Suns. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah, I guess I can see that. Also, update to our situation: all the lottery teams do have a shot at the number mm. one pick. It's very simple. <laughs> the, the last, so fair. The last so fair. team has a 0.5% shot. Can you, can you caught me saying that, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> but the worst team can get no lower than the fifth pick. So it's yeah. like you have a floor, but not a... Oh, oh maybe that's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, that's probably so. I'd actually realize Please there's the a floor. That would be, be really funny if the number... Yeah, if the Rockets got like the 13th pick. Yeah, anyway. That's something <laughs> that happened to I, the I, Knicks, to be honest. But yeah, obviously yeah. it can't happen, but... <laughs> Martin. I've never looked at this, but like this is how they know. I guess sometimes the teams have like a top whatever pick because so like the the Bulls who are like the tenth worst record in the NBA right now can get either the first, second, third, or fourth pick, but they cannot get the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth pick. But they can get the nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen Why? pick. Why? I don't know. It's just so like weird. you don't. Know, there are no odds for that. Hmm. Which is that's weird. weird. Interesting. But, how many number one picks do you think will end up on the Timberwolves by the time we uh, <laughs> return 30? You know? did, did, did you hear what I said about the Jazz? They're like 8-6 and six since they've gotten all their starters back, which is not great, but not nearly as bad as their record suggests. So I don't want to hear that. Also, if they get the first pick, then they're going to be really good next year. But also, if they don't get the top three pick, they don't even have a pick. <laughs> so Let's hope. Yeah. Um, well, Steph Curry was brought up before. Um, and that sort of segues nicely into our next NBA topic, uh, which is about the NBA MVP race to the finish. So in one of the most narrative-heavy MVP races in recent memory, momentum has shifted around the league numerous times. First, Malcolm Brogdon. Then, Joel Embiid. <laughs> then, LeBron in year 18. Then, James Harden. And now, it seems to have settled briefly on Steph Curry. When asked if he was the MVP on the Rex Chapman show, Steph Curry said, I mean, I gotta be. I gotta be. I probably won't get it, but whatever. <laughs> However, all have had injuries and are blemishes on their campaign, and Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets has been at the top of the race consistently without a huge momentum shift one way or the other. So why? can we name a favorite in the NBA race at this point? About 15 games left in the season? Uh, yes, we can name a favorite. We can name a clear favorite and a clear runner-up. Right now, the runner-up I have is the Joker, and the leader of the pack I have is Chris Paul. Chris Paul is currently running <laughs> basketball versions of Hell's Kitchen, where he bounces around from franchise to franchise and turns them into winning top-flight organizations. He did it with the Clippers. He did it with the Rockets, the Thunder, and he's doing it right now with the Suns. And they went from an almost-was last year in the bubble, which we talked about, to the second-best record in the West currently, which I, I believe are going to be number one by the time it's all said and done. And... I know his numbers aren't very sexy or jaw-dropping as previous MVPs like Russell Westbrook's triple-double season or Steph Curry or Harden or Giannis, but there has to be some value in the things that don't appear in the stat sheet, which is exactly what Chris Paul is really good at. He's a great leader, um, and they're taking this this season very seriously. From the jump from last year to this year alone is enough for me to put him at the number one spot. Okay, I mean, I would, I agree he's been really good and he's worthy of the conversation, but I would flip what you were saying. I think Jokic should be more in the lead and Chris Paul should be more of a runner-up. Yeah. Just because his numbers are sexy, as you were saying. <laughs> no, I mean, we know from experience, that what do, what do the voters vote on? 
primarily. I mean, like, I don't think the voters Point care so much about... Points, assists, and rebounds. Exactly. <laughs> like, what you're saying about the, the non-box like, score things makes sense why, but I just, like, I mean, ultimately, you know they don't really care about that that much. I mean, sure, but I care about it, and that's who, my, that's who I'm picking. The, the Nuggets <laughs> are the fourth-best team in the West, and the Suns are the second-best yeah, team in the West. Jokic is almost averaging the triple-double, like a 26-point triple-double. He's I mean, like one. He's like one assist. Part. Yeah, it's 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 not that it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we're all we're all not giving Steph Curry enough credit here. I think I. <laughs> Are you I agree a little bit with Steph Curry? Ten, listen, <laughs> listen, 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 listen. They played a bunch of games without him this year, where they lost a bunch, and they are literally the worst team in the NBA if he's not on the floor. I will. I would put my money on the fact that they are the worst team in the NBA if he is not on the floor. And he has single-handedly made them a competent franchise this year. I mean, we saw it last year. They, they were yeah. one of the worst. They got the second overall pick. Um, and in, in the stretch he's had in the first few weeks, he's shooting fifty like fifty percent plus from three. That is that's insane. It's impossible to like the like to see that sort of number in the NBA is crazy. He's going. He's going insane. The MVP is the most valuable player, the one who is most important to their team. Nuggets, still a good team without Jokic. Obviously not as good, probably borderline playoff team. Good team without the Nuggets. Uh, we saw, without Jokic, we saw uh, the Suns last year. Not great, not terrible, without Chris Paul. The Warriors would literally be the worst team in the NBA, and Steph Curry is on it, and they're competent. I think that gives him enough reason to be claiming the MVP. But if Embiid weren't injured this whole year, it would be him. Have to ask. <laughs> fan. Hey, but so Lucas, does it matter where where they finish, where the Warriors finish? Like, how how is that going to affect Steph Curry's MVP candidacy? I mean, it shouldn't. Will it? Yes. What? Like, it shouldn't. Why not? It, well, because it's relative to expectations. You know, like or relative. No, but if they to, no, it's, the it's playoffs, like a wins, a, a, the MVP wins above replacement, wins above replacement. Come on, it's like the same concept. Without them, worst team in the NBA. With him, good, competent organization. No. Okay, but then LeBron should have like ten MVPs right now. But LeBron team. should have ten MVPs. <laughs> I don't disagree with that statement. <laughs> I don't know if I agree that team record should not play a factor at all. It 100 percent should. Yeah, it should. 100. You shouldn't. You can't have. Do they have a losing record right now too? Uh, they're so. one win above 500. Yeah, you can't be yeah. like at 500 and be winning the MVP. I, I can't. I can't have that. Well, they've missed games. Like he's missed games this year where they've lost. Like their record with him is significantly better than it yeah. is overall. Like I tell you what, if Steph Curry gets them to the sixth seed, which is not impossible, I would consider it. But at res of they where they sit right now, one game over 500 at the number 10 seed, no, not a shot. Yeah, there's no shot for me. Does anyone remember what Russ the, and the Thunder were at? Five. There were six. Oh, I wanted, I wanted five? to Five? Yeah, I remember being pretty low. Five sounds right. But that was like, that really, people even felt that was kind of breaking a precedent, right? But he averaged a triple. Yeah. Level. His right, stats were, like, yeah. I mean, is, are yeah, steps Yeah, he's shooting 50% yeah. from three. Like, come on. <laughs> but that's like this month, right? I, mean, I, know, I know, I know, crazy, I know. I'm not over the whole but, year, yes. But. I, yeah. I think it's yeah. This MVP race has been a tale of streaks. They're just narratives that like yeah. tail off. Um, yeah, I mean, who is it going to be? It's going to be Jokic. Like I think that unquestionably, yeah. like, so he's too. the favorite yeah. at this point. Yeah. But yeah. he's a boring pick. Boring. Yeah. He, I like boring. no. I like him as a player, but I just think it's boring in comparison to you know. I mean, I just think they have a chance to make the pick that fits the description in terms of valuable. 
but they're not mm-hmm. going to pick that. I, I think that they're going to yeah. pick this. They're just going to pick the highest number with the most games played, which is not necessarily <laughs> unfair because he is doing he's doing pretty well. He's a good, great player. I like playing him. I like watching him play. But I mean, I just don't. I mean, I well, just don't. Also, Chris Paul hasn't really gotten much narrative, has he? No, and you know, I saw yeah, this thing know. that said um, that the. Like the pressure to, for Chris Paul MVP push should not be on Chris Paul. It should be on his teammates because we don't hear enough about Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton or the coach saying that like, oh, Chris Paul is the MVP and pushing this narrative out there. People start scratching their brains and thinking about it, which I think is a big thing is that there isn't any narrative around Chris Paul. They're just kind of silently mm. winning. Mm. It's the sun style. Steve Nash won this couple of yeah. games without like super <laughs> impressive numbers, like similar type role. Yeah, right. yeah, that's very true. Why like, can't Chris Paul? Yeah, I don't know but, if we're gonna see an MVP like that again though, where it's like, like I feel like everything is yeah. too stats focused, and we probably shouldn't. Like I, I feel like Steve Nash shouldn't have won those, but um, I don't know. Love the guy, so, but yeah. Love the guy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> great guy, great guy. Friend of the pod, friend of the pod, yeah. Yeah, friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's like one of my favorite players. Yeah, so yeah. Still, like, not despite that. Yeah. Yeah. So there is precedent, by the way, for an MVP winner on a sub-500 team. It's happened twice. Bob Pettit, or your boy Bob Pettit, won the 1955-56 MVP. What a guy. On the St. Louis Hawks, who went 33-39. and 39. St. Louis Hawks. Yeah. <laughs> And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won it once uh, in 1975 to 76 when the Lakers were 40 and 42. So it's happened twice. And Kareem is one of the greatest players of all time. So like, he so what is that it. saying about Steph? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, he actually is. A debate for another day, but like yeah. Steph Curry is the most important player in modern basketball. I'll okay, wait, wait. You, you said 1975? Yeah. Um... I don't okay. know. I can't so my response to that is, if you're not talking post-NBA-ABA merger, I don't want to talk. <laughs> I, I just looked it up. I just looked up. I think it was the year before. <laughs> so, uh, Out of luck. Yeah, it was 75-76. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've had enough basketball talk. We're going to finish it off with a rare, a rare baseball, but maybe an increasingly less rare baseball as the year moves on. Um, Depends on who makes the outline. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, hold on. Can I, can I just announce? <laughs> there's something? gonna be a five. There's gonna be every five weeks there will be a gap. Can I announce something real quick that I just saw? Yeah. What? Whoa. Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul have agreed to a fight yeah. at Rock Hard, or Hard Rock Stadium. Oh no. <laughs> on June six. That's ridiculous. Floyd Mayweather will Wonder win. Who's gonna win that? Five seconds. We'll see. Oh, you never know. He's kind of old now. Yeah. When is he he's coming old. out of retirement? Money. Money. Before the show. <laughs> um anyway, baseball. Which like boxing it reached its peak in like the thirties and sort of <laughs> tailed off since then. Um but Jared threw in there the you know the the question has Moneyball ruined baseball? So we're going to debate that today. There are many legitimate critics who think that analytics have ruined baseball. Legitimate being Jared's word there. Um, specifically, most critics point to the fact that strikeout rates are at an all-time low. Uh, or, or at an all-time high. I'm sorry. Yeah. 24.6%. And the league batting average is very low. 233 is the third lowest as of April 20th. 
The percentage of plate appearances that end without the ball being in play, either a strikeout, walk, home run, has increased consistently to about 37%, which critics say makes the game more boring. Some minor leagues are experimenting with eliminating shifts by requiring infielders to stay in the dirt or even moving the mound back. So, Aiden, we'll start there. Should the shift be eliminated in order to make baseball more entertaining, or should the onus be on hitters to hit outside the shift or bunt to get on base? Okay, I'm going to try and not get emotional because uh, I feel a little <laughs> bit strongly about this topic now. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> I think baseball needs to do something. I think what they do should very much not be eliminating the shift. I, I think it goes against the whole point of baseball, which is like hit it where they ain't. It's not hit it where <laughs> mm-hmm. they're not allowed to be. Okay. Uh-huh. Like you're telling me that if a guy hits the ball to the right side 90% of the time, I still have to play an in, two infielders on the left side. That's absurd. Just to, like sit there and look pretty. That'd be like in football if. There is a like dominant receiver who you know is getting the ball and you're not allowed to play double coverage on him or something like that. It's just, mm-hmm. it goes against logic. And I, I also think the shift's effectiveness will peak. I think we're at a point where you've got a lot of left-handed hitters who came up their whole life pulling the ball. No one really <laughs> told them to use the whole field. And now they're, you know, 28 and unable to change and can't figure out the shift. Which, again, to be clear, is their fault. Like, the whole, like, <laughs> if you hit it to the same place every time, of course you're going to be easy to defend against. It's like a like a left-handed guy in basketball who can't go right. Like, obviously I'm going to force him to go left. Like, I think we'll potentially see, a like, a new generation of guys who are taught to use the whole field as a result of the shift. I think that's evolution of the game. And I also think the effectiveness of the shift is overstated. And as we mentioned in the first paragraph, like, Strikeout rates are at like 20, yeah, what you say, like it's 24%, 25%. They've been rising every year. Like that's the reason why batting averages are getting lower. It's because of strikeout rate, um, not so much the, sh- the shift. And that's like evident from like batting average on balls in play has not really changed over the past 10 years. It's down this year. It was down last year uh, for the first time since 2011, dip before below 295 um and that was a pandemic season so i don't think we can read that much into it um but, but yeah i mean so the strikeout <laughs> look to 1919 yeah. and see what the stats yes, did between exactly that time <laughs> our, our yeah our parallel yeah <laughs> a very similar season of of mlb uh, but yeah so i'm in support of other method- measures to increase offense potentially by decreasing strikeouts and I think we can move the mound back or lower it because I like I don't think it's an essential part of baseball that the pitcher is 60 feet, six inches away. Unlike with eliminating the shift where you're just totally limiting tactics and strategy with moving the mound back, potentially, you're just you're saying that physically pitchers throw too hard these days and hitters can't keep up. So I think like that's one option and stuff like that. I'm very much opposed um, as yeah, maybe you could tell to getting rid of yeah. the shift entirely. Aiden, I'm in, I'm in agreement with you. I got, I got some numbers right. to back you up as well. Uh, so I was like, I, at first I actually was like, yeah, the shift needs to go. Because I thought that pitchers were pitching, were basically giving hitters no option but to hit into a shift where mm-hmm. they were just like pitching them into the shift. Mm-hmm. But it's actually not true. Uh, in a There's a 2019 <laughs> article is what I could find um, from The Athletic by Chris Perkins. Uh, mm-hmm. So when, when there was a shift on, pitchers threw outside more often actually than when the shift was not on by like three percentage points. I don't know if it's statistically significant or whatever, (laughs) but anyway, so they're not necessarily pitching hitters to hit into the shift. Mm -hmm. Now, why aren't they doing that? The reason is because batters just try to pull the ball anyway. They're not doing what they're told. And they're, I mean, like you said, they actually are. I remember 
when I was growing up baseball, they said use the whole field all the time. Yeah. I think like the yeah. 28 year olds now that have shifts on them just were like good enough where they could pull yeah. every time. Right. But anyway, so they try to pull outside pitches like two thirds of the time. It was 2,950 times out of 4,000 outside pitches against a shift. If you want to check my math, <laughs> uh, it was like, it's like about two thirds, something like that. And, and they did this despite the fact that if you hit the opposite way, your batting average was 416. If you pulled, it was 172. Makes no sense. Well, actually, we'll get into this later. There's a reason why they're trying to pull no matter what. Yeah. And, and then another thing, you can yeah. easily bunt against the shift, your batting average. Yeah. The batting average against the shift was at least 357 every year from 2010 to 2018. So, like, you have a super good chance of getting on if you bunt or go opposite field. <laughs> And hitters just don't do that. I like let it rest for there. There's a reason why hitters are just saying, screw the shift. I'm pulling it anyway. I can get into it in a little bit. I just want to give some other people some time to talk first. Because I got some more freaking sabermetrics. <laughs> <laughs> Call They're up coming. Billy B. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> I kind of just want to hear what Jared has to say. Like, okay. I've invested in Here this, we go. Like, this line of reasoning at this point. Okay, so, so should the defensive shift be eliminated? No. But the bigger question kind of alluded to in the title, has analytics ruined baseball? Yes, that's my answer. Because <laughs> analytics... the. The problem is that analytics say that the best way to beat the shift yeah. is to hit over it, not away from it, essentially. That's why there's a bunch of home runs and strikeouts. So I'll try to explain. The, the, stat, the, the stat that's ruined baseball, weighted runs created plus. <laughs> so basically the stat quantifies a player's total offensive value and measures it in runs while accounting for like the ballpark and era or whatever. So if you bunt against a shift... You produce a 53 weighted runs created or something like that. But if you hit a home run, if you put the ball in the air, mm. it's 120, it doubles. It's 127. Mm. So basically stats say just try to hit the ball in the air anyway because that's basically like if you get on and you bunt it, you probably aren't going to score is what that stat is saying. Mm. So we would rather you just try to hit the home run. Mm. It's just shown in like obsession with freaking launch angle and stack house and all yeah. this stuff. <laughs> uh, so according to 538, the average launch angle of a batted ball has increased Every season of the StatCast era, I'm not sure when that started. I, I didn't write that down. But additionally, ground ball rate has decreased every year in that same time frame. So basically, there's there's ample evidence that hitters are just embracing yeah. hitting over a shift. And, say, and they're doing an uppercut swing, which is why they're striking out yeah. more. Like, just a more aggressive swing in general. Um, and then, yeah, this kind of played out in the just the raw stats. When a batter faced a shift last season, 5.2% of balls went for a home run. When they didn't face the shift, it was 4.1%. So I'm not, I'm sure that was statistically significant or whatever. I'm, I don't know about that, about all that. But do you remember? I love Moneyball, by the way. That's like one of my favorite sports movies. But do you, I don't know if you, do you guys remember the scene where Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, obviously, he's like coaching up his players on analytics and he's telling them, like, take more pitches, draw walks. And he's saying, don't bunt. If they bunt against us, just pick it up and throw it to first. Then he tells one of his players, like, don't steal. And the player's like, that's what you pay me to do. And Billy Bean's like, no, I pay you to get on first, not get thrown out at second. Like, that's money ball <laughs> philosophy right there. Because they hate small ball. They just, like, walk or home run, basically, is what they want. And there's, I bet there are less bunts nowadays. I didn't quantify that. I know there are less yeah. steals. I, I did quantify that yeah. in terms of attempt rate. Basically, there's just no on-field action because analytics say just stay put <laughs> and wait for the guy to hit a home run. That's essentially what it is. Yeah. So analytics have, have made baseball – 
less entertaining. I can like definitively say that, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Do you think there are any <laughs> rule changes here that they could implement to make it more inter- like to sort of like fight know. back against the weight of analytics? Like are there any sort of like you know, tweaks they could make, like, you know. This is like not like a comparable example, really, but like how Daryl Morey said they should make threes two and a half points. Like that's yeah. not going to happen, but is there like an equivalent like weighting balance thing? I, yeah, I, I was going to bring that up actually. Go ahead. Sorry, no, I just think it's like a clear parallel to me how everybody's <laughs> either shooting threes or going yep. into the paint now in the NBA, and yep. people are like, this is no longer a fun sport to watch because analytics have taken over like what the mm-hmm. offense says you should do. It's like the exact same thing. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. but and yeah, I think. I don't know. Yeah, no, and I think in the NBA, that's going to lead to them moving the line back further or stuff like that. And I think in baseball, it's going to lead to the same thing. Build I think bigger park. I, you know, honestly, <laughs> I think they're going to, they've moved back the fences before, like systematically. I think that they potentially would do something like that again and also move back the mound. So like there's less strikeouts and fewer home runs or just more kind of focus on contact. They've also like deadened the ball before or yeah. like, like made it a little season. less. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I'm not sure if it's actually working or not, but. Um, yeah. I think th- I think they'll try and keep using measures like that, whether it's right or not, or the best way to go about it. I think I think they just if you get a team that really embraces small ball and like wins a World Series, that that could change a lot of things. Like a team that actually like may their leadoff guy walks, steal second, bunts him over to third, like that. That is, I think is a more exciting inning than two guys strike out, <laughs> one guy hits a home run. Yeah. I don't know for me. Yeah. I, the thing is, do you think like I'm not sure if the general populace would would agree? I agree with you, but I, yeah, I, mean, I do want like like people like home runs, you know. So that's maybe, true. And strikeouts too, to some extent. That's true. Um, so I don't know. I, I do wonder like if there's like big popular support behind. Like I know there are a lot of people who talk up small ball, but like on a like grand scale, I'm not sure yeah. how people feel about it. I think yeah, people I mean, like, people don't mm-hmm. like the the name small ball might like kind of turn off people but like <laughs> yeah. if you're complaining that not enough action happens in in baseball like there objectively is just more movement more yeah. action in small ball than there is in like yeah. waiting yeah. I just think more movement to the eye like could be more entertaining I don't know I do agree mm-hmm. though I I love seeing a guy like strike out the side every once in yeah. a while though right or yeah, like hit yeah. a home run every once in a while I don't want to see like I don't necessarily want to see like a 15 solo home runs in a game where it's like eight, seven, you know. Yeah, but I mean, if you think of the moments when like baseball's like most been in the popular culture in like the last however many years, it's like all like home run related. It was like yeah, the, like the race to yeah. break the record between yeah. McGuire and Sosa and Barry Bonds hitting all the home runs, and like I feel like the home run is just like such the iconic stat of baseball that like well, I agree, I would prefer like a small ball game. I think it's more exciting. Like Jared alluded to, I think more happens. I think it's more. Like, I know analytics and, like, money balls, like, strategy. But, like, I think it's, like, a more interesting strategy to, yeah. like, try and, like, you know, make your way through the inning with, like, smart decisions rather rather than just, like, perfecting your launch angle to swing for the fences. But I think just, like, yeah. so much about baseball's, like, place in the popular imagination is based off, like, the whole, like, chicks dig the long ball. Like, yeah. Or, like, it's, like, yeah. that is, like, the exciting play, like, the thing that happens where it's, like, you know, single stolen base, double run. Like, like it's just like it's yeah. fun and exciting, and it well, accomplishes the same purpose. But like, it just it's not one moment. It's not one exciting thing, and especially in a game which like I love going to baseball games too. And I love baseball, but I think in a game in which it is sort of slow, like the home run is that moment, and it like sort yeah. of changes the pace and yeah. makes it exciting in a way that like 
a normal inning does it. The I think there's a theory the reason why home runs are so are so popular with the general public and why everybody only cares about baseball when they're hitting home runs is because that's the only thing they really ever advertise, at least during their all-star weekend. Mm-hmm. It's the home run derby. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's hitting home runs. Everybody tunes in for the home run derby. It's a great all-star weekend experience. And that's about it. Nobody yeah. does anything about base stealing. Nobody does anything about bunting. Nobody <laughs> does anything about yeah. um, pitching or anything like that. It's not about how fast you can run around the bases. It's not about hitting a bunt in a perfect circle or, you know, whatever it might be. It's all home runs and it's just the home run derby. And that's the only reason I care. And I'm just going to add a point. I think the only way to make baseball more exciting is one of two things. Another bench warmers film, another bench warmers film where they practice the fundamentals and they stress it or give everybody in the league steroids and just let them go buck wild. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? Everybody gets steroids or leave. Zero to one. Everybody gets steroids. Yeah. I'll take A. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I think too, though, about um, like why why like home run dominated games are like more uh, are people the general populace finds more exciting too is because like like great pitching performances are harder to quantify unless it's a no hitter or a perfect game. Right. And like I mean, you can strike out fifteen guys and it's impressive or whatever, but it's like. The amount of like truly great pitching performances and like easily understandable pitching performances is a lot fewer. Um, so if you only focus on like that aspect of the game, then like you're yeah. gonna be left wanting. But like home runs happen in That's most true. games, yeah. and it's like a clearly defined characteristic of like wow, that guy did something impressive. Yeah. Like I can yeah. like, sort of attach to that. And I think also like if you're gonna watch a great pitching performance, you're gonna sit down and watch. If you're gonna watch a no hitter or something, you're sitting down and watching 27 batters. Whereas like uh-huh. if you tune in and see a home run, you're like, whoa! Like that's a instant adrenaline <laughs> rush. Where a good pitching performance is a bit more slow burnish. Mm-hmm. I also feel like it's sort of like like none of us really like NASCAR, but like the people that like NASCAR like know what's going on and like mm-hmm. the intricacies and like, Oh, this guy's going for an overtake and it takes a lap to do it. Whatever. There is, there is no intricacy. Formula one. I only got into formula one because I started to like, kind of know the personalities and like the intricacies yeah. of the sport and like the tactics. That's really where it gets interesting. And like, yeah, like both what Lucas and Aiden just said, if it's not like, immediately visually appealing it's a little harder to get into where football is yeah. like super visceral and physical yeah. basketball is like probably a little more athletically impressive <laughs> you know i would say than baseball yeah. and basketball and, is also just like non-stop as well like that's the yeah. benefit yeah. it has like people are constantly scoring yeah. yeah and and i think i don't know in terms of like would small ball be more impressive um like for a general viewer think about an nfl game it, would you rather have just like four 80 yard runs in a game and then nothing else really happened? Or would you rather have like nice drives that every once in a while get stopped and then like they have to punt and like field position and all that stuff? I don't know. I, I, I like, like you, you got to have a home run in a game and stuff and you're yeah. going to have the big plays in a football game. But like, I think, I think balanced is always better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. if you're like a, a sports organization and like so much of like what you sell in terms of your like yeah. access into your sport is like, highlighting clip driven like what like to go back to the football example like what makes the more exciting highlight like that's true 80 yard touchdown down the field or like a two yard touchdown run to cap off like a nice drive like i i, I love a good <laughs> long drive like to grind it out take eight or nine minutes off the clock like, i think that that's like fun football but if like 
in the era of NFL red zone where like you're <laughs> looking for like yeah. the big plays and like the small highlights, like that's what sells. And like, I think if like taking it back way back to the beginning, like if we're looking at like how sports are moving, it's like, how can we make as much money as possible? The European super league, mm. the basketball plan. I think that that's just like, if that's where baseball is going towards like more home runs, I think that like they're going to embrace it. Cause they need to do like, I think something to sort of like bring back the sport a little bit. And if that thing is like, is as many home runs as possible, then I think they're going to skew towards doing that. I have a third solution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it works once. I have a third solution. <laughs> okay. Nickelodeon stream. Oh my God. <laughs> they probably are going to. That, I think that's the way you teach people how to love baseball. Yes. No, I'm serious. That is yeah, good. Like, think about this. I thought about this when you were when you were talking about like what makes the highlight reels. A, a third down stop doesn't make the highlight reels, but does is I can't think of a time that I get louder and more excited at a football game than a third down stop because like you're told like everything in the stadium is telling you like we need to stop them on this play. You know what I mean? And like uh-huh. if you could find some way to like communicate urgency with with like uh, a three two pitch or maybe like a two yeah. two pitch. And kind of bring, I think they do that a really good job in the stadium with like uh-huh. the organ guy or like start clapping your hands or whatever. If they kind of, if they could kind of bring that into the living room, I think that would help actually. Yeah. Because like you don't think <clears throat> defensive plays aren't highlight reels, but they get you really excited if you're like, if you're out of stadium. And I, and for me at like on the living at the living yeah. room, I get excited about uh, it. Too. Yeah, and I think I think part of the problem is that like in like a, the equivalent of a third down, like a third and one um in football for the defense is like uh you know first and second or second and third two outs um, in baseball and we're not seeing those situations as much because Mm -hmm. it's yeah there's a lot of solo home runs or two run homers so like that kind of those build up kind of innings or you know times where stuff is developing that gives like tension a chance to kind of um um exist and yeah Yeah. we have less of that when it's just like home run or nothing Small ball would do that, though, huh? Yeah, it would. Yeah. Would it put would. more urgency and tension? <laughs> oh. I think we're on to something. Rob Manfred, we got to call him up. <laughs> we'll see. All right, I think that's going to do it, though. That was a pretty good dis- – that was, like, maybe the longest discussion we've had on baseball in the show's <laughs> history, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you enjoyed that, give us a, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at YouThoughtSport. Uh, as we might have mentioned at the start of the episode or right before, Wyatt just made some really cool graphics on our mock draft. Go ahead and check that out. Uh, see how right we are when Thursday's draft comes around. Speaking of that, next episode will probably be a lot of NFL drafts, so get ready, strap in, and uh, we hope to see you there.